0: couple of brief announcements I want to make. Really, one, the C.S. Lewis Fellows Program is something that we promote in the church. We've had a number of people go through it. It has literally been life-changing in some lives. Uh, we'd encourage you if you want to go deeper as disciple, where you would read really serious but but accessible material to grow as a disciple of Christ. It, as well as the uh, program that the Colson Center does. Uh, Both are incredible programs, but C.S. Lewis sign-up is due by May 31st, and uh, we'd encourage you to consider it if you want to go deeper. Julie went through it. A number of the folks in the church have. Uh, You can go to cslewisinstitute.org slash Dallas. You can call the church. We can give you information. I'd love for you to consider doing it. I think it's a, a wonderful program, and like I said, it changes lives to study that seriously. It's like a seminary education without the tuition or the stress. It's actually a pretty doggone good deal. Uh, I don't know about you, but I got to make a confession. I'm a little grumpy. I, I, on Friday, it finally hit me. i I've been kind of grumpy. I, I, my, my fuse is a little shorter. When people say things to me, I have to bite my lip. Now, not with Julie. I'm not stupid. But with with most people, when, when I, I've just, my trigger is a little quicker, I'm a little tired of this. I don't like preaching to an empty, almost empty room. I don't like the, all the consequences of this. I hate Facebook, where every opinion known to mankind is stated with absolute authority and certainty. Um, and then, as if the world wasn't bad enough. I read the other day that they're thinking about starting back Major League Baseball, which is great, but they were talking about outlawing spitting. You can't play baseball without spitting. That's like Tex-Mex without chips and salsa. That's like Texas without chicken fried steak. There is nothing that makes sense in our world today. We have lost all sense of what's good, right? And and I personally am a little grumpy by it. I think you might be too. Uh, and of course, I'm joking, well, I'm not totally, but 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 the fact is that those are little things. I mean, those are little things, right? But it is a time of stress. We have members of our church who who have been laid off. We have members whose work or our income has been cut way back. We have members who have uh, struggled with sickness. We have members who are going through all kinds of difficulty and and just the tone in America what you read on the internet, what you hear on the TV, and the stress in all of our voices, it's a little edgy. Can I say that? It's just, pandemic life just ain't fun. And it's true for all of us. So if you're a little grumpy, don't call me. Get over it and then call. But but we understand. It's, it's where many of us are. Today, I want to look at as we go through this Pandemic Life series, I think the guys have done a great job. This week, I want to look at work and money, work and money. Now, either of these it could be the subject of multiple volumes, multiple books. I wrote my thesis on money at Dallas Seminary. I've studied the issue of biblical work. I've preached a whole series on work. So, obviously, it's going to be very brief and short, but work and money are particularly difficult in the context of what we're suffering through with the pandemic. And so I thought it would be good to take a look at that. And as I studied it, I was struggling. There are so many passages on Scripture about work and money. It is one of the major themes of the book of Luke. It's huge throughout the wisdom literature, the Old Testament. Uh, Those subjects are very crucial to how we understand life. And so I I struggled with what, 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 approach, what passage should I begin to with, and I found one of my all-too-favorite quotes about money from John Wesley. John Wesley said, gain all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. That was his financial advice. If he had been a financial planner, his advice would have been three steps. Save all, gain all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. And I had read that many times, and I loved it. What I found this time is it comes from a sermon that he preached a number of times. Because they didn't record things, he could do it repeatedly because uh, people don't remember your sermons. They just remember your jokes. But Luke chapter 16 is the passage he used for that. And it's one of the more difficult passages in all the book of Luke. Luke. So if, if you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 16, we're going to look at the issue of work and money from a very unusual passage. And verse 1, uh, I've called verses 1 and 2 when work ends, when work ends. Uh, Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager, whose steward, was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. Uh, One of the first things I want to point out is Jesus acknowledged that people lose jobs. People lose jobs. Now, in this case, it appears that the manager deserved it, but, but the reality is people lose jobs. One of the facts of life is, is struggling with our employment. If you're a farmer, obviously a drought or a flood could have devastating impact. But, but regardless of the circumstances, part of life is going through stress related to employment and the provision of our needs. Now, let me give you a quick theology of of work. It begins with Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden Eden, to work it and take care of it. Uh, Many of you believe that work is a result of sin and the fall. That's not true. Work preceded the fall because I believe it's part of being created in the image of God. We need work we need to get things done one of the reasons this time is so hard is we've we've essentially put many people in solitary confinement without relationships and without work two things that uh, the book of Genesis says we have to have and as we're isolated and without meaningful things to do we we go through difficult times because we were made for it we need these things and God gave Adam, the first man, a job to do in working the garden before sin came because we need that. Even if you retire, you need to get busy doing something. In other words, it doesn't mean that it has to be uh, employment uh, exactly as we're defining, it, but all of us need to be busy and making a contribution. It's part of how we're made. It's part of the reflection of God in us. But after sin, Genesis chapter 3, 19, work got hard. Uh, verse 19, by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Uh, it is true that because of sin, work got hard. As a result of sin, work is always difficult. God allowed sin to literally change creation, according to Genesis, so that farming became difficult. There became weeds. There became disease. And even more so, relational sin in our society makes work hard. All of us know what it is to go into the office, go into the workplace, and experience the tension that occurs in the workplace between people. It is a reality that sin is difficult. And one of the mistakes that we have made in our modern society is we are so blessed that we've come to think that if we're not being totally fulfilled and happy in our work, then something is wrong. That, that we are owed this, this uh, special experience with our jobs so that we come home each day maybe a little tired but enthusiastic for all the ways we've been able to work. And that, that is only half true. It's true that we need to work, we need to be creative, we need to produce things, but the other side of it is we work in a fallen world and so that work requires sweat of the brow, it, it requires difficulty and conflict and hardship. Those are both true. Can I just get off, okay I'm going to sit down for this because this isn't part of the sermon, okay? This is, this, is, this is just extra, you don't have to pay for this. Can I express something I'm a little frustrated with? And that is, as a society, we have lost the ability to hold two different thoughts at the same time. We think that either work is supposed to be fulfilling and joyous or hard and difficult. And and we tend to gravitate toward one or the other. So you have some Christians who treat their secular jobs as if it's a curse from Satan and there's no value that comes from it. And others who are frustrated because they, they don't get out of the work, all of the blessings they feel they have. The reality is both are true. And life is lived in those kinds of tensions. Life is lived in tension between, oftentimes, between two different truths that, that on one level seem to contradict each other. But that's the, the stuff of life. That's where we live. And when you come to your work, on one level, we work to make a living. Uh, that's, that's why we do. But I've had horrible jobs that, that yet when you say, I'm going to do it for the Lord and I'm going to accept it as a gift from Him in order to provide for my family, even they can be a blessing. It, it, there's a tension there that we have to live in. So when you go to work, you cannot expect it to do for you only what God can do. But on the other hand, no matter how bad the job, if you go with a sense of using it as an opportunity to serve and glorify God, it can be used by Him. Okay, I'm through with that. I will move on. Second uh, Thessalonians, one of Paul's passages in which he speaks of the role of work in the life of the Christians. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 7, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. And by the way, I don't think that's just royal we. I think that is his whole party, those that traveled with him. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. By the way, the, I think it's a good thing, but the 40-hour work week is not necessarily in Scripture. There are times when you have to work longer. And fortunately, there are times when you don't. Verse 9, we did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Notice the operative word is unwilling to work. Uh, This doesn't mean that just because someone has gone through a difficult hardship, they, they now shouldn't be cared for. But uh, what had occurred apparently in the first century church, as you know, is there was a great deal of sharing of assets and and people having love feasts together and eating. And there were apparently some who said, cool, I'm going to quit my job and just hang with the Christians. And the Apostle Paul says, no, that's not the way it works, Bucky. Everyone works so that they can eat. And if someone refuses to do their part, then they shouldn't be allowed to eat. So verse 11, he says, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They're not busy, they're busy bodies. Uh, Such people we command and urge in Christ Jesus to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. So the, the normal way that God provides for our needs is through our employment, through our work. The the normal means by which God feeds us is through our work. But modern employment can be frustrating because, because oftentimes we learn just how little we control our circumstances or work. If we have a boss, if we have the market, no matter what, we learn how little we have control. There's so many factors that that come into play, and at times, modern employment can be very pressure-filled, and sometimes there's a time to change jobs so that you can have a better quality of life, But, but the reality is work is work, and that's why they call it work. It is the primary means by which we are provided for by God. Now, some, through no fault of their own, have lost employment right now. And let me just say, we as a church have every intent of coming along and helping. It's so much fun to watch men and women help people find jobs. And and it's so gratifying to watch the church help people financially in times of difficulty. It's part of what we should do. And it's a real pleasure to be a part of it. Ecclesiastes 5, 18 and 19 summarizes a lot about work. This is what I have observed, says the preacher, to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor until the sun, during, under the sun, during the few days of life God has given. That for that is their lot. It's just a blessing to find satisfaction in your work. And few things are more gratifying than looking back at a day and saying, I got something done. I, I, I made a contribution. We all need it. So let me summarize this, that work is a gift, but it can be hard. Work is the normal means of producing to meet our needs. And we all need to work, but work is work. So we have the story of, of the manager who is let go. We don't know if he deserved it. It seems like he probably did as the story goes on, but, but employment is a major issue in our lives. Verses 3 through 9 we're going to learn a lesson from one of the worst. You know, they always say, learn from the best. This is a parable about learning from one of the worst. Verse 3, the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master has taken away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. You've got to give him this. He's honest. I, 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 I'm too old to dig ditches. I've done that when I was younger. I, that's work that young men should do. I'm grateful I don't have to do it anymore. Um, and he said, I'm ashamed to beg. That was, that was the social uh, service system of their day. When, when someone lost employment, if they didn't have a family to help care for them, then they begged. It, giving of alms was a part of the way the society responded to them. Verse 4, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will w- welcome me into their houses. So he called each one of his master's debtors and he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, 900 gallons of olive oil. The manager told him, well, take your bill and sit down quickly and make it 450, cut it in half. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. And he told him, take your bill and make it 800. Now, this is why he's one of the worst. This is really uncomfortable, and it is fascinating to read theologians trying to find how in the world Jesus would use this bad actor as a good example. In fact, they go out of their way to find ways to make it not as bad as it appears. So some say, well, the manager was charging interest. Uh, usurious interest. And so the, the, I mean, the owner was, the master was, and so the manager forgave that interest and was complying with the Old Testament law, which did not allow interest to other Jewish people. And so he was really doing something that was righteous. And others say, well, no, I don't, I don't think that's it. It doesn't interest." You. So maybe they, the, the manager was marking things up in lieu of interest. Uh, if you've ever been around a tote the note, use car lot, that's what they do. In order to avoid usury in the interest rates, they mark the price of old clunkers way up so that the interest looks low, but in reality it's a high rate. That's one of the ways that oftentimes poor people are taken advantage of. And, and so maybe it was, wasn't the interest itself. He was just bringing it down to the rightful price. But it doesn't say that. As some say, well, he was, he was taking a big commission on this, and he was forgiven his own commission. I've worked as a business person. I've got a degree from business from a Christian school in Austin. And can I tell you what I think he did? I, used, I think he used his power unethically to take care of himself. I think that's the whole point. Jesus is using a man who's not a good guy, and that's to make the point even more strongly. Because look what he says. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. For the people of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people in the light. He, He says, he's acting like a worldly guy. He's using... He's using his money to accomplish his goals as a worldly guy. And as a worldly guy, his goal was take care of number one, regardless of anyone else. That's the point. He understood what his goal in life was, and that was take care of himself. And Jesus is saying, if if worldly people uh, can use their money to accomplish their greater goals, how much more should we? The implication being that we have a different goal right? And verse 9 he says, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Use use your worldly wealth to accomplish that which will get you into heaven. Use your worldly wealth to to love God and love others, which are the spiritual goals of a believer. Use, Use your worldly wealth in a way that's consistent with what you say you value. Money is a tool. It's something that you use. The problem is we Christians get all hamstrung over the issue of money. Some treat it as if the Scripture says money is the root of all evil. You know that that's not true in the pastoral epistles. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. It's not. And and no question, many of us fall into the materialism and the the greed and 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 the inability to say no to new shiny objects just as much as as the world around us. We we can very easily go to one of the two extremes. Um, in scripture, money is a tool. It's just something you use to do things. It's neither morally good or morally bad. It's dependent on what your heart desire is and how you use it accordingly. And. That's what Jesus is essentially saying to use your money wisely to accomplish what matters. As I mentioned, uh, all too many of us Christians are in a bind financially because we, we've slid into the, the, the attraction of materialism where s- somehow we become convinced that just a little more. I've met very few Christians who want to get rich uh, or that will admit it. What we typically say is I just need a little more. But that is a trap, that is a slippery slope that can that can never end because there's always something else. And frankly, it gets more complicated as you have family, as you think about education your children, and all of those are good things. But we have to constantly be aware that we don't fall into that trap. Some of us just don't have impulse control, and the Internet is, is, is like a tool of Satan for us because we get on that thing and something new and shiny pops up and we just can't wait to have it. It has been rumored that one pastor at Grace has a lot of fountain pens because he just has a horrible inability to say no to fountain pens. Um, Some ways it's just getting caught up in our culture. We, we, All of our friends have things and we try to keep up. And, and In other words, I don't think many of us say, I want to make money my goal. I just want to use it I, rather than use it as a tool. I, I think we slide into it. And, and this is a good time to step back and say, what is my relationship with money? How, how, how do I view it? Is it the goal itself or is it a means to the end? Because when when we put other values as more important, then money falls into an appropriate place. And actually, we can be much more relaxed about it. The the stress comes from not knowing how to respond. Ecclesiastes 5.10, whoever loves money never has enough, and whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. And that's just meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundant per- permits them no sleep. Working for what we have and enjoying what God has given us is one of the great blessings. And and we have to be careful that we lose sight of the fact that money is simply a tool. It's neither evil nor inherently good. It is just a tool. There's a movement among some Christians that... that, that Love guilt, to throw on other people, and and if 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 you eat, drive too nice a car, or live too nice a house, uh, they they have proclaimed themselves the sole arbiters of who should decide how much is enough. i, I found in my own life that's incredibly dangerous. Um, I found in my own life that uh, those are intangibles that God alone knows. And I pray for you that God will direct your heart as you study, as you talk to other people, as you pray, direct your heart to live a lifestyle that's best for you so that you gain all you can. It's good to make a living. But you also save all you can. Set aside some of what you have so that these difficult times are provided for. Um, because it's a tool. And finally, the end of this story, Jesus talks about what really matters. Verses 10 through 15. Whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Money is a test for bigger issues. Money is a test for bigger issues. Uh, The the reality is that if we don't manage our money well, probably people aren't going to hire us to manage theirs. But if we don't manage our own lives well, we we shouldn't be in a position to manage others. That's one of the reasons that in the requirements for leaders in the church able to manage their house, manage their greed, manage their emotions is such a part of it because when you get in a position of leadership, you have a responsibility to manage what God has given you as an indication that you can manage more. Many of us fall into the idea of, well, you know, I just don't have much. But if I had more, I could manage it much better. The scripture says that's not true. You you take yourself with you wherever you go, and if you don't manage things well when you have a little, you probably won't when you have more. Uh, ultimately, Jesus is saying this is a test for bigger issues. And in the Sermon on the Mount, verses uh, chapter six, verse nineteen and twenty, he says, "Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin and destroy, and thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin don't destroy, and thieves don't break in and steal." In other words, that money tests your heart. And 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 if your heart is in the wrong spot when you have a little, it'll be even more possibly in the wrong spot when you have. More because you can do more. As Jesus said, "Be good with the little God gives you." In other words, be good with what you have today. Uh, don't don't wish for the future. Don't shoulda, woulda, coulda. But instead, just deal with today some of us feel guilt when we realize we've made bad financial decisions now we're paying the consequences and and can i just say it's like so much of your spiritual life you confess the mistake you embrace the forgiveness you have through the death that jesus died on the cross and then do your best with today satan loves to whisper in our, our ears we're no good We're not worthy of God's grace. We can't be used by God. And money is one of the areas I have seen Christians be treated that way. When in reality, life is messy and all of us make mistakes and all of us fail, Uh, confess your mistakes and go on. Do today with what God has given you. If you need help, go get help. We have financial pros in the church. We have people that will help. Don't live in the defeat of your mistakes, but instead embrace where your heart is today and move forward to do what is right. Verse 13, Jesus goes on to say, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. One of the realities that we learn about money is it shows what really matters to us. I'll confess to you, uh, my temptation has never been so much the money side of this as the work side of this. Uh, so much of my little short guy ego has always been fulfilled in, in my work and accomplishing things. And, and when God chose to take those things away, I realized how much I had made them an idol. In other words, sometimes God will take things away from us to, to reveal that we've made them too important and they've become idols in our lives. And, and for some of us, God will take away an employment opportunity. He'll take away a job with income. He'll take away a stock broker account. He'll, he'll do things today to show us that we've come to build our security and our happiness in something besides Him. Where your treasure is, there is your heart also. And, and, and so this is a time to purify and to strengthen understanding. Verse 14, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. Notice religious people can be the most uh, materialistic of anyone. in, In that community, the Pharisees were noted for their love of money. And Jesus said to them, you're the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. And what people value highly is detestable in God's sight. It's ultimately a heart issue. And, and, and God may be using this time in all of our lives to strip away the things we have depended on, whether our work, or our money, our time with friends. What, what, he may be using this to strip those things away so that we're reminded that if we don't lean into Him, everything else is passing away and meaningless. The fact of the matter is that sometimes we need the toys taken away from us so, so, that, so that we're reminded what really matters. Uh, 1 Timothy six seventeen through 19, Paul says, Command those who are rich, and you know that by world standards all of us are, in the present world not to be arrogant or put your hope in wealth which is uncertain, but instead put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Verse 18, 1 Timothy 6, 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. If I were going to summarize this passage, I'd say, uh, first of all, learn to trust and depend on God alone. Don't, don't depend on your job. Don't depend on your money. Do the best you can. Be wise with those things. Make sure that your trust is in Him. Secondly, be wise. You know, set aside money for savings to go through difficult times. Set aside this money for retirement With the time comes when you can no longer work for employment. Um, uh, reduce your lifestyle if you need to, so that you can can do those things. Those that's wisdom. And the Book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes has so much to say. Those. So and and so you trust God, but you still have the tension of you're responsible for your own wisdom. And thirdly, be generous with others. Be generous with the work of God through giving to the kingdom work. Getting us generous to other people who have less. And isn't it funny, I end up exactly where John Wesley started me. Gain all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. Isn't it interesting that so much of life is easy to understand and hard to do? This is one of those areas. We all know intuitively that we should work to make a living and, and do a good job and that we should be wise with what we do and generous to God and others. But it's it's hard to do. It implies, it it reveals the brokenness in our hearts. It reveals the lack of discipline in our lives. It's a reflection of the struggles that life brings. And the good news is God's grace covers it all. Some of us are better at managing money than others. Some of us are better than our careers than others. Some of us are better at basketball than others. Some of us are better singing music than others. In other words, we're all not the same in our abilities with this, and and we're all not given the same stewardship. But, But God knows what we've been given, and He says, trust me, do your best, and be generous. And the great thing is, all of us can do that. All of us can remember that money is just a tool, and it's something that that when we use it as an expression of what really matters, He can bring glory to Himself and blessings to us. If you're struggling with employment, if you've lost your job, or your income's been decreased substantially, and you need to talk to a pastor or one of our successful lay people, let us know. We'd love to connect you. Don't don't struggle with that alone. If the groups of unemployed grows, we'll set up groups so that you can encourage each other. That's a that's a part of the process. I, I know your spouse can get tired of hearing that frustration. If you've got a real financial issue, and and don't don't go without eating. The the church has a fund. We come alongside and help people, and we also will come along and and if if it continues over a long term encouraging you to make changes. But in the short run, we, we help a lot of people through the course of the year and we want to do that. But even if things are so far for you, just good, you're still getting paid, maybe you're working for home and having to learn with your, to live with your spouse and children more, but it's still an opportunity to use money and work as a means by which we look at our hearts, a reflection of what really matters to us, and, and an opportunity to be used by God in the day-to-day efforts of our life. Please pray with me. Father, we confess that money and work can be hard. They're, they're subjects that are very tender to each of us. And and all of us have probably had some ex- successes and also some failures. And and it's, it's something that you can get easily embarrassed by. Most of us don't want anyone to see how we spend all of our money or how we spend all of our time. And some of us have had great successes in our work and others have had difficult failures and many of us have had both. Thank you, Father, that we live and survive in your grace and you love us in all of our brokenness and you understand our limitations. But Father, I I pray that we would use this difficult time as an opportunity to take inventory about what really matters in our hearts. And if, if our work or our money or our things have taken your place in our lives so that they're more important, I pray you'd forgive us and help us to refocus and be wise. Father, I pray that for those of us who have made mistakes and are struggling because of that, you would help us to experience your grace so that we could live today well and trust you for tomorrow. And Father, we ultimately thank you that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from you. And help us to learn to be grateful for what we have rather than just always focusing on what we don't have. Thank you, Father, for your abundant grace